0: Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to that huge clash at Villa Park on Saturday lunchtime. Arsenal take on Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa in what is a massive, massive game For the Gunners. We're going to be talking team news. We're going to be talking through Mikel Arteta's press conference. We're going to be discussing the lineup. We're going to be talking uh, about Mikel Arteta's uh, defense of his comments the other night with regards to the fixture pileup. We're going to be talking about Antonio Conte, who has responded to Mikel Arteta's uh, comments. And of course, we're going to be taking you guys' thoughts and questions, as always, from the live chat box. Hope everybody is well. I hope everybody is good. The sun is shining here in London. And I always talk about the weather in my intros and I do it because the weather is a big deal to me. It makes a massive difference um, to me in terms of my mood. So when the sun is shining, I'm in a better mood. So uh, long may it continue. Uh, A few hellos. Let's say hello to uh, Creambone, uh, to Abhishek, to Moss, to Camille, to Steve, to Alejandro, to Martin, Danny. Uh, henry mr bungle peeniween hope you guys are all good bad boy says what is coag chronicles of aguna uh that's the abbreviation mate um but yeah there is a poll in the chat box around whether you'd like to see a live watch along of tomorrow's game uh, at aston villa i find myself at a bit of a loose end because some of my work um that i normally do on a saturday isn't happening because of the fa cup fixtures so um, I will be free. I will be available. I will be watching the game at home, uh, right here from the man cave. So if you want a, a a watch along, let me know in the chat, and if enough people are up for it, then we shall do it. Okay, um, let's uh, let's get into it then, and let's start off. I guess uh, the best place to start would be with Mikel Arteta's press conference. Now he faced the media this morning. Uh, that is Friday morning ahead of this game against Aston Villa, and he talked about a variety of subjects. We're not going to go into every single bit of it. Uh, We're not going to go through every single quote. It takes an age, and I'm sure most of you have seen or read from it uh, already, but there's a few bits that I just wanted to highlight and a few bits that I just wanted to discuss. First bit being the the update on Takahiro Tomiyasu's fitness. Uh, When asked whether he'd be available for the game at Aston Villa, Mikel Arteta said, there is a chance, but we don't know. Again, today in training, we'll see how he's feeling. He was asked at why he's taking a long time to come back, and Mikel Arteta pointed to the fact that it is a recurring problem in the same sort of area, and obviously we have to be more cautious as a result of that. Uh, we was also asked, or he was also asked, sorry, about Emil Smith Rowe. Is he uh, available to start? He said he was fine again. He had a little issue before the game on Wednesday, but he's been fine the past two days, so hopefully now he can get some consistency. And momentum. Um, Going on to the comments that Mikel Arteta made in the post-match press conference after the Liverpool defeat, he was asked whether he stands by what he said about the Premier League schedule. Now, Mikel Arteta has taken a lot of criticism from the wider football world, having expressed his displeasure at the fact that Arsenal are having to play 12-30 games on a Saturday after Wednesday night fixtures, and um, and and that's the point here, right? Mikel Arteta was not saying that we don't want to play Wednesday or Saturday. He was not saying that that's an issue. He's got an issue with the kickoff times and the unfair advantage that it gives to your opposition. He also made it clear that he wasn't talking about European fixtures. He he made it clear that in his view, European fixtures are completely separate in this. And if the schedule with European fixtures isn't ideal, well, then that's down to the European authorities. And he doesn't actually expect the Premier League and the European authorities to be singing from the same hymn sheet all the time. It's one of the big criticisms, though, I have of English football, because when I look at Italian football, for example, another uh, league that I follow very, very closely, It's not uncommon to see, for example, if Juventus, I know they're out of the Champions League now, but if they had a big Champions League tie to come on a Tuesday, it wouldn't have been uncommon to see the Serie A reschedule their fixture, bring it forward to the Friday to give their team a little bit of extra rest and give them the best possible chance to go on and succeed in Europe. We don't get any of that in the Premier League because it's all driven by TV money. It's money, 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 money. And I know football in general, is driven by money and governed by money at the moment. But in particular, in the Premier League, the Premier League are at the mercy of the TV companies. It's why the Premier League is what it is, because of this relationship with the TV companies, which, of course, they do not want to jeopardise. There's no consideration uh, for the thoughts of the managers. There's no consideration for the welfare of the players. What I have found quite funny, though, over the last couple of days is that the reaction to Mikel Arteta's comments has just been so big in comparison to when Jürgen Klopp does it or when Pep Guardiola does it. And that really irritates me. When they do it, it's for the welfare of the players. But when Arsenal do it, it's, you know, or or when Mikel Arteta says it, it's Arsenal being babies and Arsenal throwing their toys out the pram. It, it, It really does irritate me to hear that kind of talk. The fact is here is that, you know... You can say that Arsenal have played less games than Liverpool this season. You can say that Arsenal have played less games than than some of the other big clubs. And I, and I totally get that. That's fact. But that doesn't mean, and it doesn't change the fact, that asking somebody to play three games in six days, three games of the utmost importance, of the utmost intensity, you're asking too much of a group of players and of a squad. And it's it's simply not on. You know, and I always make this point, and I made this point on yesterday's show, so I don't wish to kind of stick on this for too long. But I made the point that if I were in charge of the Premier League, I'd want to ensure that the games that people are paying big bucks for, the games that are attracting people to this league and competition, which then means that you can go on and sell the TV rights for bigger funds and for bigger amounts of money year on year, they have to be of the highest quality. And in having this ridiculous schedule you are reducing the likelihood of both teams being at their peak and therefore you getting a much better spectacle. So I, I don't even think it's in the Premier League's interest to do this. But obviously, they're looking at it in the short term and they're looking at it in, from a purely monetary perspective. Uh, moving on, uh, he continued to talk about the um, the TV stuff for a little bit. Um, he was asked about how it feels to have four England players in the squad. And of course, he expressed uh, sort of pride and, and, and how proud he was of some of those players. He said it's great for the club. Um, he was asked about how Aaron Ramsdale reacted to conceding the goal that he did against Liverpool on Wednesday night. Now, we talked about it in the post-match show. I think we can all agree Aaron Ramsdale had to do better for the first goal. But Mikel Arteta, on on how Aaron Ramsdale reacted, said this. He said, oddly, he was gutted after the match. It's normal because he's such a competitive boy, but he needs to realise that this is going to happen in his career. At this stage, and if you play for the national team, you're going to have moments where you do something. And then instead of some part of the country, it will be the whole country on your back. If you want to be at the top for 10, 15 or 20 years, you have to be prepared for that. And it's about how you react in these moments. Yeah, look, I think since we signed Aaron Ramsdale, we've all gone pretty big on his character and how positive that is and how positive an influence He's had as a person and as a, a and and, he, and we've talked a lot about his aura, haven't we? I've said throughout the season that the way Aaron Ramsdale plays means that there is an error in him. Now I'm not saying that the error that he made on Wednesday is necessarily down to his playing style. He just got done at his near post. It wasn't him trying to be overcomplicated. In his, uh, in his distribution. It wasn't him taking a risk in terms of his position. And he just got caught out of the near post. He didn't make the save that we all expected him to make. And that was it. Um, you know, and, and that was that. So it shouldn't really have too much of a, an impact on the way he plays moving forward. But it is interesting that Mikhail said he was gutted. And look, we're going to see now. Uh, a lot more. And we're going to learn now a lot more about Aaron Ramsdale's character based on how he bounces back. And he's got an opportunity to bounce back right away at Aston Villa this weekend. Um, Going back to some more comments uh, from the press conference. Um, He he keeps getting asked about the top four. Uh, He says, you know, you know, sorry, he keeps getting asked about the top four and he keeps getting asked what it would mean to finish in the top four. And he says, when we do it, I will tell you, because it still hasn't happened. There's still 11 games to go and a lot can happen. And that's what we're playing for. And he's absolutely right, because, you know, there's been so much um, talk about Arsenal having already qualified for the top four. You know, I go on the gas tank on 90 min and people say, um, you know, yeah, you've done it. Harry doesn't want to admit that Arsenal finished in the top four it's not that I don't want to say anything. It's that we haven't done it yet. And that's the reality. And I'm glad that the manager is giving off that message as well, because there is still so much work to be done. There's still a trip to Spurs to come at some point. There's still a trip to Chelsea to come. Manchester United are still due to come to the Emirates. And we've got a couple of other difficult away games, including uh, Southampton, Newcastle, they're not going to be easy games. So it's it's far from done. There's a lot of work to be done. And I'm glad that Mikel Arteta is keeping his feet on the ground, even if the journalists aren't uh, at this moment in time. OK, that's kind of the key points from the press conference. Let's have a look at some of the statistics uh, between these two clubs going into this game. Let's compare their two seasons so far. Arsenal and Aston Villa, In the Premier League, have met on 53 occasions. Arsenal have won 28 of those matches. Aston Villa have won just 11, and there have been 14 draws between the two clubs. So, history is stacked in Arsenal's favour. But how does the recent history look? Well, Arsenal uh, beat Aston Villa at Emirates Stadium earlier on in the season. But of course, last season, Villa did the double over us. They beat us 1 0 at Villa Park in November. And of course, beat us 3-0 at Emirates Stadium during that awful run that we had in the uh, sort of October, September to sort of November period that season. If you go back to the season before, we won at Emirates Stadium, but we were beaten again at Villa Park. So recent history is is not too, uh, or, or doesn't make too great a reading from an Arsenal perspective. If you look at the recent form of the two sides, well, Arsenal have won four of their last five, but were, of course, beaten at home by Liverpool, which is by no means a disgrace. Aston Villa had been on a bad run under Steven Gerrard, but turned that around with victories away at Brighton, at home to Southampton, and away at Leeds. They did lose last weekend away at West Ham, which, again, similarly to our defeat against Liverpool, is certainly no disgrace. In terms of league positions as things stand, sit sitting fourth. Aston Villa sit in ninth. The Gunners have won 16 games this season. That's five more than Aston Villa, who've won 11. We've both drawn three times. Arsenal have lost on eight occasions. Aston Villa have lost on 14. Average goals scored per match. Arsenal lead in this particular metric with 1.59 goals per game. Uh, And we also concede less on average. We concede 1.15 per game as uh, opposed to Aston Villa's 1.39. We've kept more clean sheets, 12 clean sheets in comparison to their nine. But in terms of chances created per match, we're on level terms. Again, That this is clear-cut chances by their Premier League's uh, reckoning. So, um, yeah, 1.11. In terms of top player statistics, if we take it into the goals, assists, passes and tackles, Arsenal lead in three out of four of these um Categories: Emil Smith Rowe is the top scorer across the two teams with nine goals. Saka is second in eight. Watkins is third uh, with uh, seven. I beg your pardon. Uh, in terms of assists, Alex Lacazette's got seven. Danny Ings is on five. As is Bukayo Saka. Passes: Ben White and Gabriel lead that. Tyrone Mings comes in at third. But in terms of tackles, Aston Villa lead the way. John McGinn, Matty Cash, and Jacob Ramsey. All have made more tackles in the Premier League this season than any Arsenal player. Okay, um, let's move on to talk a little bit about the team. Now, we've talked a lot about how the schedule is going to affect us, how it's going to impact us. So does that mean that Mikel Arteta should be looking to rotate this weekend? It's hard, isn't it? Because when you think about certain positions, we don't really have alternatives that represent as much quality, i.e. in the centre of midfield. If you take Thomas Partey out, if you take Granit Xhaka out, I think you end up um, sort of losing quality and losing stability in the middle of the park. That's not a criticism of Lokonga. It's not a criticism of El Elneny, but they're just not at the same level. I think that Xhaka and Partey are really, really important. I think Odegaard is really, really important as well. And obviously, he came off a little bit early um in, uh, in the game against Liverpool at midweek. The only, I guess, viable change that I think is one that you could consider is to take out Martinelli and put Emile Smith-Rowe in. I think Mikel Arteta has been quite clear on the fact that Emile Smith-Rowe is fit again and available again and ready to impact and help the team. You know, I think in terms of goals, Emile Smith-Rowe, as I mentioned just there, is leading the way as Arsenal's leading goal scorer. So to have him in the team feels like a no-brainer. Um, if possible. But of course, um, you know, it's it's difficult because Martinelli and his performance on Wednesday have really impressed of late. And, and do you want to send that message to the young lad and take him out? But I think from a fitness perspective, we could probably do with a little bit of freshening up. I thought Lacazette looked Burnt out at the end of that game. But again, you know, not a really strong alternative to bring into the team. I don't want to see Eddie starting at Villa Park. So he will start. Um, Saka feels undroppable at the moment. So I think he will start. Um, On the left hand side, you know, as I say, Martinelli could make way for Emil Smith-Rowe. But Odegaard, so important to the team, clearly someone that's going to be in there whenever fit and available. The same with the two other midfield players. The back line is very settled, so you don't want to change that. So if you are going to freshen it up in any way, then I feel like it's probably going to be Smith-Rowe coming in for Martinelli. Is that what I would do? No, it's not. Um, I would go with the exact same team, Uh, that played against Liverpool from the start. Now, Mikel Arteta's talked about the recovery period that Arsenal have been recovering and that they were, of course, back in training uh, today. You'd hope that the recovery kind of um, sort of process has been managed very, very well. I'm sure it is. We're talking about elite level Premier League footballers. I I think when we talk about freshening up for this game, I think it's got to be freshening up during the game freshening up at various points in the game if we feel that we need it as opposed to completely ripping everything up. Look, if the performance was as good as Mikel Arteta says it was, then we should stay with the same team, right? But understandably, we don't know, uh, you know, how people have recovered. We don't know how people have come out of that game on Wednesday night. I thought it took a lot out of us physically. Um, I thought we got the opportunity to make a couple of changes because Liverpool's second goal came quite early. Um, in comparison to what when it might have done, which meant that the game was ultimately decided quite early and Mikel Arteta then felt that he could make a couple of changes and, and almost move to damage limitation mode. But I guess, as I say, the only thing that you could potentially do here is bring Emil Smith Rowan without disrupting the team too much. Uh, Tomiyasu is a possibility, as I mentioned earlier on, according to Mikel Arteta. But do I think he'd be past fit enough to start? No, I don't. Um, So I think the rest of the team has to stay as it is. Therefore, my team to face Aston Villa at Villa Park on Saturday at lunchtime is Aaron Ramsdale in goal, back four of Cedric, White, Gabriel Antini, Partey, Xhaka, Odegaard, Saka, Lacazette, and for me, Martinelli. But as I say, if that change is to be made, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked. You know... We talk a lot about freshening things up, and we talk about uh, the need for rotation. And and I normally and am, uh, am in full agreement with that. But you know, I and, and look, this is going to sound a little bit hypocritical because we've talked a lot about the fixture schedule and the pile up and how I don't like it, and I don't like the fact that we've had games slotted in on Wednesday nights, and then we had then have to play games on Saturdays at twelve thirty. But what I would say is there's got to be some advantage and some benefit to the fact that we have played less games um, than some of our competitors this season. There has to be a plus side to that, you know, and is that plus side that there's more fuel in the tank, that there's less burnout because the season up until this point has been less intense. Yeah, I think that's a fair argument and a fair case to make. I, I also don't think though that it's fair to expect somebody to be at their top level three times in six or seven days, regardless of what they've done in the season so far. I just think that's a really heavy workload to put on a group of players. But are we better positioned to do that, to take that on than maybe Tottenham would be, or maybe Manchester United would be? Yeah, I think you have to say that. Um, So yeah, that's why I'm thinking like we've kind of banked some fitness time, right? We've banked some rest time at various other points in the season. And I want to see the benefit of that. The squad is not deep enough for us to do a Liverpool and change two of your front three and expect to get the same type of outcome. It's not strong enough, big enough to make changes in midfield and expect to get the same outputs and the same outcome. It's not strong enough and big enough, again, to do that in the defence. So on that basis, if Mikel Arteta really does take every game as it comes and it very much is um you know focus on this game and then we turn our attention to the next providing that everybody's fit and providing that everybody's recovered i don't envisage there being wholesale changes nor do i think there should be so that's my take on the team in terms of a prediction for this one um I went optimistic on Wednesday. I went with a 1-1 draw, more so with my heart than with my head. I'm going to revert back to using my head because that seems to serve me a lot better. And I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. I know that's not the result that people want. I know that's not the result that people are hoping for. And I know in a lot of people's eyes, the fact that we didn't get anything from the game against Liverpool, it's increased the need, hasn't it, Um, to get something... Uh, sort of from this game. What I would say, though, is, of course, Tottenham are in action against West Ham on Sunday. Um, If either of those two win that game, they can move level on points with us. They're both on 48 at the moment. Arsenal sit on 51 points in fourth, but we'd still have two games over West Ham um, in hand and one game over Tottenham. So it wouldn't be the be-all and end-all if Arsenal were to drop points here. If we got a point, then it means that we have that little bit of cushion so that neither Tottenham, neither West Ham could leapfrog us into fourth um, this weekend. And also Manchester United don't play this weekend because of um, Liverpool's involvement uh, in the FA Cup. So I'm not saying i want a draw. I'm not saying I'd be happy with a draw. But I think if we came away with a draw from Villa Park and we were quite lucky to come away with a draw or the performance was good enough, you'd sit there and go okay, um, it's not the end of the world. It's not the be-all and end-all. But if we did go there and win, it would be another massive step towards qualifying for the Champions League. And it would feel very much like the Wolves game did, where we had our backs up against the wall. Uh, We came into it, you know, against a very strong side, a side that we all knew we were capable of beating, but we all knew also had the potential to cause us many issues and many problems. So, Look, I think we can win, but my head tells me that we're going to struggle with the physicality here a little bit, just because of how much Wednesday took out of us, how few changes I expect Mikel Arteta to make. And because of the fact that Villa, although they lost at West Ham last weekend, are in pretty decent form. They've got a lot of really talented players um at Aston Villa the likes of Felipe Coutinho um, the likes of uh, Ollie Watkins very dangerous player Danny Ings can cause you problems as well they've they've got a lot of talent in that villa side Steven Gerrard overall i think has done a really good job um sort of notwithstanding that disappointing run just before those three consecutive wins but it it's not an easy fixture it's not an easy fixture at all and it's not that You know, I believe that if you want to finish in the top four, you need to go to places like this and take points. You need to go to grounds like this and come away unscathed and with points in the bag. But what I would say is that in and amongst the positive run of form that we saw going into the Liverpool game, the five successive Premier League wins, I do feel like people got a little bit carried away. I do feel like people almost forgot about or decided that they prefer to overlook some of the shortcomings that this team has. And on that basis, I don't fully trust this Arsenal team yet. I've said it throughout the season. Again, I go back to what I was saying before. Everybody keeps saying to me, you just don't want to say it that we're going to finish in the top four because you don't want to jinx it. You're doing this, you're doing that, you're playing mind games. You don't want to talk about it because you think that if you do, you'd be setting yourself up for a fall. That's not it at all. Um, I've never been afraid to put my opinions and my views on, on footballing matters out into the public domain. That's not a problem for me. It's what I get paid to do. I should do it. But in this instance, I genuinely still don't know if we're going to make the top four. I think there'll be certain moments that will be defining, certain moments that will prove key. I think the victory over Wolves was one of those moments. Um, it it really, really was. I thought the victory against Leicester was another positive step, given they too are a side with the capability of causing us problems. Aston Villa away from home is a difficult proposition. If any of you have been to Villa Park, you'll know that it's a really atmospheric ground on its day. Although we're at a disadvantage that we're playing at 12.30 on a Saturday, though, sometimes those 12.30 kickoffs can be a little bit eerie, and the f- atmosphere in those games can be a little bit flat just because of the time of day that it is. The fact that people don't get too much time in the pub beforehand to drink, and and believe me, that stuff makes a difference. Um, so maybe that's a, something that we can kind of cling on to in terms of the atmosphere and the environment that we're going to face at Villa Park on Saturday. But um, it's not going to be an easy game by any stretch of the imagination, and we've got a lot of these. Games that you look at and you think are winnable, but also have the potential to prove quite tricky. There's a few of those in our fixture schedule between now and the end of the season. And also the Tottenham game hasn't even been scheduled yet. You know, so when are they going to chuck that at us? You know, that's another thing that is obviously sitting in the back of our minds at the moment. So my prediction is a 1-1 draw. That's how I think it's going to go. It's not how I want it to go, but that's how I think it's going to go. If I'm sticking my neck out on the line, I'm going to go with a low-scoring draw. I'd love Arsenal to take all three points. Uh, and I'd love you guys to join me tomorrow on uh, a live watch-along uh, of the game. Let's, In fact, let's check what we're saying on the poll. Uh, we've got 84% of you want the watch-along tomorrow. So I expect to see uh, you guys right here in the comment section uh, for that tomorrow. Um, it'll be fun. It'll be good. It'll be interesting to... Watch the game in you guys' company. I haven't done a watch along for ages. I think the last one I did was Sunderland in the cup before uh before Christmas. In terms of Arsenal games. Yeah, it's been a while. I did Real Madrid PSG a couple of weeks ago, but um but that wasn't an Arsenal related game. So understandably not as many of you were interested in that. But yeah, we'll be here tomorrow. We'll we'll go live from about quarter past twelve. And, uh, and we'll take you through the game in my company. And uh, I look forward to being in you guys' company as well, courtesy of the live chat box. So that's my prediction. That's my team. How do I think it will go in terms of how the game will play out? Well, I think Arsenal will look to play the way that we've seen them play, you know, consistently in recent weeks, which is to be on the front foot, to be aggressive, to squeeze up to the halfway line. Aston Villa pose a lot of threats, similarly to Liverpool in behind, with the pace of people like Ollie Watkins, with the ability of Philippe Coutinho to pick up the ball in deep areas and produce defence splitting passes. So I think we'll have to be mindful, have to be wary of that as well. And the other issue is the thing with Gabriel, right? I don't know if there's an update. Perhaps I've missed it on Gabriel's situation, but he very nearly didn't play against Liverpool because um, his wife is heavily pregnant and is due to pop at any moment. So there is a possibility that we don't have Gabriel available. And I'm not, you know, Mikel Arteta hasn't confirmed that, but there's a chance it could be the case. And um, and that would be a big blow. That significantly weakens our team. It really, really does. I think, actually, if Gabriel's missing, we don't have any pace in our back line or in our, in terms of our centre-backs. Sorry, we don't have enough pace in Ben White and Rob Holding to give me confidence that playing the high line isn't going to cause us problems. So there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to mull over and there's a lot to consider when deciding uh, how you think this game might go. But yeah, 1-1 one, one draw for me. That's my team. Those are my thoughts on how Arsenal will probably approach the game. And now it's over to you guys in the chat box for some of your questions. Get them in. We'll take as many of your questions and as many of your thoughts as we possibly can between now and the end of the stream. But just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please do hit that like button. It really, really does help with the um, the algorithm. It gets the video out to, to more people. And if you haven't done so already, please do subscribe to the channel, too. That really helps as well. And we are on our way, as I keep saying, towards 20,000 subscribers here on YouTube. We'd love to get there by the end of the season, but we need your help. Uh, Also, if you want to go one further and become a member, you can uh, do so by clicking on the link in the description or if you're watching on your PC by clicking the join button uh, underneath the YouTube video. If you sign up, you get access to our Discord server. You get to have input on our members' mailbag shows um, as well as uh, some other bits and pieces that we're going to hopefully get around to doing. Uh, So please do check that out as well. Okay, um, let's take some of your thoughts uh, and some of your questions. Uh, Afsar says, Harry, I'm a bit worried about Odegaard's performance in big games and the lack of goals or assists, but he does work hard. Yeah, I made this point, Afsar, didn't I, after the Liverpool game in that he wasn't at the races. I thought Liverpool did a really good job of Cutting off the supply to Martin Odegaard, of making sure that when he got on the ball, he was crowded out very quickly and that he never basically got the opportunity to settle into the game. I don't think Aston Villa will do as good a job in that sense. Um, And and for me, I I don't really have concerns about Martin Odegaard. I think he's a very steady performer. Normally, yeah, he's going to have the odd game where he's not at his. At the peak of his powers. But that goes for everybody and particularly for younger players who are still developing and who are still learning their trade. So I'm not massively worried about what we saw from Odegaard on Wednesday. It just wasn't his night. It didn't work out. But as you say, the fact that he gives you the work rate in spite of of what he does technically, in spite of what he does with the ball at his feet, means that he's never going to let the team down in that sense. So for me, um, that's good enough. Um, Afsar also adds before I move on that the problem is that the expectation level has gone up and top four is now demanded by most fans. But to be honest, I'd be happy to finish in fifth. I think given the position we find ourselves in, I think I I can't say I'd be happy if we finished fifth, but I can't say I'd be calling for the manager to be sacked or throwing my toys out the pram because if you'd have offered me at that at the start of the season, I'd have taken it. Therefore, that makes me a hypocrite. Uh, what else have we got in uh, the chat? Um, uh, Priyank says, uh, we can't afford to rest anyone in midfield, but in attack, I think we should. Pepe and Emil Smith-Rowe should be starting. I'd be, listen, I, I like both of those players. I've, I've, I've sat here and I've defended and almost campaigned for Nicolas Pepe to have a greater involvement on this channel. Um, and I think that Emil Smith-Rowe is obviously one of our biggest goal threats at the moment and isn't necessarily a downgrade on Gabriel Martinelli. In fact, he's not a downgrade at all. He's a different type of player. He offers a different type of threat. But I'd be quite happy to see him in the starting eleven as well. My issue is, though, Priyank, that I'd be very surprised if Mikel Arteta felt that he could rotate not just one but two Of that front three. I'd be shocked if he went as far as leaving out both Martinelli and Saka. I think they're both very, very good at isolating the fullback and causing problems. Emil Smith-Rowe is good at picking the ball up in wide areas, drifting in field, but he brings a difference right to the table. And I don't think that if you left out Saka, who I'm assuming you're talking about to get uh, Pepe in, um, I think if you left Saka and Martinelli both out, I think that would be or could be Problematic and could maybe blunt our attack a little bit. Um, let's take this one from Arthur who says, Harry, as a watcher of Serie A, um, what are your thoughts on Tamori not being selected for England? Southgate has an English bias. I have I-, I mentioned this yesterday um, on the show that we did, and we mentioned it on the uh, gas tank over at 90 Min this morning. I think it's sad for Fikayo Tomori. I feel sorry for him uh, because you know he he has been in really good form. I think he took a step to go to Italy that not a lot of um, not a lot of players would make you know not a lot of players have the balls to get up and leave the country that they call home. Um, actually let me rephrase that a lot of players have the balls to get up and leave the country they call home to go and pursue a football career. A lot of English players tend not to go abroad. And so when I see a young English player look at his situation, um, be obviously unhappy with it, um, and then think that actually I could go abroad and be willing to take on a club the size of Milan and take on a task like that, where he knows there's going to be lots of media spotlight, I think he's always admirable. And I've got a lot of time and a lot of respect for Fukayo Tomori's decision to move out to Milan. His performances. Um, for the and area have been very, very good. They've been very, very good. Um, and I think if he continues in that vein, it it won't be long before he is one of England's first choice centre-backs. Look, for what it's worth, I don't particularly rate Harry Maguire. I think that he is someone that England probably need to move on from. I know people argue that he's played well at the World Cup and he's played well in this and he's done. Yeah. Sometimes he's done all right. Um, in an England shirt. But that is largely due to the system. You know, if you remember the Euros, Gareth Southgate was vilified by so many for being defensive in the way he approached the game. That's why Harry Maguire doesn't get exposed. But if England want to take it on to another level, if England want to become a little bit more expansive, a little bit more entertaining and a little bit more front foot based, then they need centre-halves who are better on the ball. They need centre-halves who are more mobile. And Ficayo Tomori, Um, already had all that stuff. But now he's got that added nous that comes from playing in the Serie A. He's got that tactical awareness that comes from joining a club like Milan and working under a coach like Stefano Pioli. So I I think it's a real shame that he's been left out of the squad. I really, really do. And I think there are a couple of centre-backs in that England squad whose inclusion for me is questionable. So to see him left out is obviously devastating for the lad. Um, Glad Ben White got in, obviously, from a purely Arsenal perspective. But yeah, um it, it's a bad decision for me and I think that Gareth Southgate you know he's got his core group of players that he maybe sees as leaders perhaps Harry Maguire falls into that category and perhaps he's willing to overlook his kind of difficulties at club level right now but for me to leave tomori out was was a wrong decision um and a bad decision let's continue through the chat uh, Omar says uh, I'm not going to lie. Something tells me Villa will get a result tomorrow, although I do think we will win. Hold on. <laughs> so you do think we will win, but <laughs> something tells you Villa will get a result. Look, it's it's a difficult game to call. It really, really is. Um, you know, it's hard to say that it's a game Arsenal are going to go there and, and win easily or comfortably. Equally, um, it feels hard to say that Aston Villa don't have a good chance, as good a chance as we do, of taking all three points. So I sound like I'm kind of sitting on the fence with this one, but it's a game that could, I know it's an old cliche, really is a game that could go either way. Uh, Mohammed says, hi, Harry. The Villa match is a must-win and tricky. They've got good offensive players. We must be ready and disciplined. We cannot drop points because we have difficult, decisive matches against direct opponents. Uh, Famous says, uh, Pepe, um, I want to advise, should be given more time. Maybe a full 45 minutes. less boost his confidence and I'm sure we'll get a result. Uh, Martin says, Harry, what's your thoughts on Rashford having a Jacka moment and giving the fans the middle finger? So Rashford has actually come out and denied that he gave it a middle finger. And I, I've got to be honest, from the video I saw, you can't tell. Um, he says that he was kind of pointing and saying, come and say it to my face. and I believe him. i got to be honest. I believe him. Um, but look, this is just a, a prime example of... The way football fandom has gone, and I really don't like it. Like, I think you can sit there and you can be critical of players. I think, as a particularly as a as a fan of a club, no matter how it is you do it, whether that be through TV packages or buying merchandise or attending games, you are directly um, supporting that club financially, and therefore, how can you say to a financial supporter that they have no say in? in your performance. It's it's unfair to say that fans can't criticise players. But the way it's turned lately is like there seems to be no line for it. It seems that people use social media as a place in which they can say things or feel that they can say things that would normally, in, in the old school kind of way of thinking in the old days, it land them with a punch in the face. And and that line has been crossed too many times Um, towards too many players. And it's another element. It's another layer of difficulty and complexity that the modern-day footballer has to put up with. And for me, it's wrong. Um, Look, if he was heckled as he says he was and he reacted, he's only human. And the, the thing that I find ironic about all of this is that the same fans who are quite willing to stand there and give it to another human being and are quite willing to go onto social media and say whatever they feel like saying without any fear for any retort or confidence or consequences. They seem to be the people that end up sort of coming across as all sensitive and upset and hurt and disappointed when somebody gives it back. I mean, all Rashford did was say, come and say it to my face and pointed. I mean, is that enough to offend you? Is that going to send you home crying? It's mad. You know, it's, the people that dish it out always seem to be the most sensitive when it comes to them getting something back. And some people are naturally like that. Some people have that kind of fight inside them. Others avoid confrontation at all costs. Others. And, that, and that's not to criticize those people. It's a character trait. Right. I'm one of those people that if you have a go at me, I find it very hard to just get my head down, turn around and walk away. I find it incredibly difficult to not fight my corner and obviously Marcus Rashford whether he was like that all along I don't know but he's clearly got to a point where he feels like he can no longer turn a blind eye to it and 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 as i say the thing that always astounds me about these types of situations is it's is that it's the fans who give it who then come across as being the most sensitive and the ones who want it to be um or you know who hold the athlete the most accountable for his actions. And it's just uh, its so hypocritical. It drives me mad. Um, Guna Hussain says, bro, who do you think we should get as a striker in the summer? Um, look, I wanted Flavich. We didn't get him. I think a, an achievable target is Alexander Isak. And I read some reports today that Arsenal, and I think the quote was from the Spanish press, Arsenal are in love with Isak and will do everything within their power to get him. Let's see. Uh, but he's a good option. He's a good option. I actually like Darwin Nunez as well. I talked the other day about the reasons I think that he uh, he would be a pretty decent fit too. So yeah, either one of those two I'd be quite satisfied with, I think. Jid uh, says, top four is an ambition, not a target. I've been encouraged by our ability this season to get maximum points from historical banana skins. So I'm optimistic about the top four. I just don't demand it. Yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, Billy Boy says, Villa's a tricky game, but more often than not this season, we're beating teams that we should be beating. We're way ahead of them in the league. I have faith in the boys 1-0 to the Arsenal. Uh, Priyank uh, brings up Antonio Conte's response uh, to Mikel Arteta's comments regarding the fixtures. Um, yeah, let me just bring this up because I did want to talk about this. I, I did have it down Um in my notes. Let me just bring up the quote Um, on uh, Twitter. Hold on a second. Where is it? Here we go. Um, Let me just share the screen with those of you that are watching us via the video at the moment. Just while I do that, make sure you hit the like button. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you are new. And if you're listening via the audio, make sure you leave us a review. So uh, Dan Kilpatrick has has tweeted the quote uh, from Antonio Conte during his press conference today when asked about Mikel Arteta's comments. He said, Arteta should remember the game postponed between Tottenham and Arsenal. If If someone wants to think about fair or unfair, I don't forget this. And it's not right to speak about fair or unfair. Antonio Conte, get in the bin. Honestly, get in the bin. You wish. You had Mikel Arteta's barnet, and that's what you're really sort of butthurt about. Come on, let's be honest. Look, it's it's, for me, Arsenal did nothing wrong with regards to that North London derby. I get that a lot of people um, took issue with it. Arsenal exploited something that had... uh, Let me rephrase this. Arsenal exploited a precedent that had been set by the Premier League If you go back and look through all of those COVID postponements, you will find that there were a number of games, in fact, a high volume of games that were cancelled due to injuries and COVID. Not just COVID, injuries and COVID. Arsenal saw the precedent being set, and Arsenal did what most clubs would have done in our position, tried their luck, it paid off. I saw somebody as well on t- on Twitter giving it to me telling me that oh if it wasn't something wrong why did Arsenal get charged for it we didn't get charged for for the postponement against Tottenham we had an FA charge for disciplinary reasons we didn't get a charge for the failure uh, for the, the the fixture not being fulfilled why would the premier league somebody explain this to me why would the premier league grant you permission to have a fixture postponed which means that they agree with you that you have a case and which means that they agree there is grounds for that fixture to be postponed and then proceed to charge you for it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense so that notion can just be put in the bin that rhetoric that narrative it is it, it's, it's nonsense um what else have we got in the chat box? Uh, Uh, Akené agrees with me on the whole Rashford thing. Why should Rashford not give it back? Why should Shaka not say F off to people telling him to F off? Completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, Omar says, I must say, I do think Conte has a point. He doesn't have a point, Omar. Um, Conte is one of those managers who does everything within his power to win. And had the shoe been on the other foot, had everybody else watched Clubs get countless fixtures postponed during that COVID period, they would have done exactly the same thing in our position. And look, Arsenal only requested during that entire time, despite having COVID cases, despite having COVID cases at the start of the season, Arsenal only requested one postponement this season. And they got it. We could have requested a postponement against Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup. Everybody was talking about how light the squad was then. And people were were talking about that game being in doubt going into the lead up. But we didn't request it. We got on with it. We got knocked out of the cup as a consequence. You didn't see Mikel Arteta turn around and moan about it after. So I just think Antonio Conte needs to stay in his lane. And maybe there's a bit of, you know, so, so what managers do, I think, is they sometimes play up to what they know the fans would respond to. It's kind of part of creating this siege mentality. It's part of getting people on your side. And perhaps Antonio Conte saw the opportunity to have a go, um, you know, to have a go at Arsenal as a way of galvanising the crowd and getting people on his side, even more so than they already are. Perhaps that's, um, that's, uh, that's got something to do with it. But as Tim so rightly points out, how can the 21st postponement in the Premier League cause so much ruckus? Conte's waffling, seeing how he won't even be in the Europa League next season. Uh, let's say a big hello to Kiri in the chat. hope you're well, man. Hope you're good. Uh, he says he's quite happy to see either Martinelli or Smith Rose start at the weekend. Um, which, uh, I agree with, you know, it kind of reiterates what I was saying earlier on. Check out Kiri's YouTube channel as well. Uh, click on his name in the description and it will take you over and you can check out what he does over there and uh, see if it's something that you like. And if so, make sure you're subscribed to Kiri as well at UK Random 78 Cheers for tuning in, mate. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Abhishek says, do you have a soft spot for any other football club outside of England? Um, obviously, my my club in Cyprus, Anorthos, is there my club that I say I support? It's a soft spot more than supporting. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my answer. But other than that, um, I do quite like Milan, at AC Milan. If you ask me Uh, where I lean in terms of Italian football. I don't support them, but that's where I'd lean in terms of the clubs that I've got incredible uh, respect and admiration for. Uh, So yeah, that would be that. Okay. Um, I am going to leave it there. Uh, It's Friday. Get outside, enjoy a bit of sunshine before it goes away. Get your takeaways in, whatever it is you're going to do. Have your dinners, uh, chill out, relax, and start unwinding ahead of what's going to be a stressful day tomorrow for the Arsenal, no doubt about it. Just a quick reminder, uh, due to popular demand, because there are 81% of you that want to see us do the live watch-along tomorrow, we will be live from 12.15pm right here on the Chronicles of Aguna YouTube channel, and we'll be taking you through the game between Aston Villa and Arsenal at Villa Park. Very much looking forward to watching it in you guys' company. Don't forget to hit the like button. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're new. Make sure the bell is turned on for all notifications. We haven't got enough likes on the board, guys. Come on, let's try and get this up to as close to 100 as possible between now and the outro playing. Uh, I'll catch you all tomorrow. hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Leave any comments, any thoughts if you're watching this back on replay below. Catch you all soon. Until then, up the arsenal. Come on.